This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello there, Shauna here. And in this lesson, lesson 24 of the Equine Clicker 101 podcast on Horse Radio Network, clipping can be fun. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the classroom to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Where would we be without them? They are Jeffers Equine and Pet and Cavalier. This is Shauna Karish, and today, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how do we make clipping fun for your horse. It is something where, it, right now, we're going into colder seasons. Horses here are starting to grow hair, and so for some people, clipping is a part of their winter protocol, their winter plan. But how do we make it fun for them? Also, for some horses, maybe we're not necessarily needing to clip, but every horse should be able to be clipped in case they come to an injury or something that comes along. So we're going to talk about how do we use positive reinforcement to turn the clippers into something fun, something they like to do, something that isn't so scary and isn't such a treacherous event. So we're going to learn more about that. Oftentimes I've asked, where can you buy clickers? Where can I buy a side bucket? Where can I buy Target? Where can I buy your book? Where can I buy videos? Whatever those things might be. You can find those things at a store on my website, I guess. It's called On Target Training. So it's www.on-target-training.com. So it's On Target Training with those, uh, those, uh, hyphens in between. So you can find stuff there and or give you ideas. Some stuff you can make if you want to. But but if you're interested in just I want to get it and I want it right, you can go there or get ideas to see how it works. Okay. Now, for all your other horsey needs, I go to Jeffers Pet. Jeffers Pet has things for your horse, has things for you as a rider, it has supplements, it has Cavalor treats. The Cavalier Crunchies are great. It has a lot of things that we use within, um, you know, like the feed tubs that I, the rubber feed tubs I use for the jackpot at the end of the session. You can find all, and clippers, as we're going to be talking about clippers today, you can find all of those things at Jeffers Pet. So let's learn more about, uh, and you can find things for other species like your dog or even your cow. So let's listen and learn a little bit more about Jeffers Pet. Located in Dothan, Alabama, Jeffers was founded in 1975 by Dr. Keith Jeffers in order to provide local livestock owners with a reliable and more cost-efficient source for their supplies. Fast forward 40-plus years, and today, Jeffers has become a trusted source for equine, pet, and livestock supplies all across the United States, but they've not lost sight of the personal service that got them started all those years ago. You can still visit the Jeffers store in Dothan, or you can shop online at jefferspet.com, where you will find an astounding array of products for your equine habit, from quality tack, English and Western, to the supplies and healthcare products that you have come to depend on, as well as new and innovative lines to help your horse be his or her best. Visit them today at jefferspet.com. All righty. So this is Shauna Karish. And in today's episode, like I said, we are really going to be talking about um, 
about clipping and, and how to do it and how, how to get it to be fun and how to be, you know, it's not teaching you how to clip per se, but how to teach, get your horse ready for clipping. We have a clipper here who puts designs on the horse's rumps, which is really lovely and talented. I won't be teaching you that. <laughs> That's a whole set, different skill set. But we do, and we can make it something that your horse actually looks forward to and enjoys. For so many horses, it is something that is fearful. It is something that is scary. It is something we oftentimes have to medicate them to do this. And it is, that just kind of doesn't need to be. So we're going to talk about really changing it. And, and it is, again, one of the things you may need to determine is, do I want to clip my horse? Why would I clip my horse? So in some areas like here, it gets really warm in the day relative to the nights, which is really pretty chilly. So they can grow a heck of a lot of hair. Well, you can then ride them in the day. And if we, they aren't clipped, they can get even with very little work, they can even with their own play, they can get rather uh, sweaty. And then now you have a horse who's taking hours and hours to dry and the night can come upon us and he's still damp. And now we have a cold horse. So there's certain things depending on what your exercise level, what your environment is, what your choice is. Some people show in the winter time and they need to have a horse who's clipped in and looking lovely all the time. So that's a choice you need to make. But regardless of that, I think it's also really important for anything we come across that our horses don't like. I really do like to prepare them for that. So I, I think I don't want them to go around and think, oh, but whatever you do, don't get clippers near them or whatever you do, don't get a whip near them or whatever you do, don't get, you know, whatever the piece is. I think I don't want that, that something in there that feels really unsettling for them. I want them to learn that the world is safe and they don't have this one thing that if it comes out, they're, 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 they're terrified. So we want to really change that because so, and also, like I said, for, you know, sometimes it's veterinary procedures that have to be done and they need to bring clippers or other things to your horse that may be buzzy and noisy. So I think it's really important that your horse has a certain amount of desensitization. If you're considering body clipping, you're going to really need to take this to the end. <laughs> but in any case, I think it's an important thing to work through. Now, one of the things we're really going to be using the most is systematic desensitization and counter conditioning. We talked about that in lesson eight. So this is going to just be a specific lesson about doing it with the with the clippers. So as I pointed out in that in that lesson, lesson eight, it is it is a basic element that I use over and over again. The systematic desensitization and counter conditioning is a form of despooking. It's how we teach them to get prepared for injections. It's how we prepare them for clipping. It's how we prepare them to get in a trailer. It's how we prepare them to wear a saddle. It's how we prepare them to carry a rider. All those pieces are a process of systematic desensitization and counter conditioning. And then we kind of shift over into the classic conditioning eventually. And I think that's an important element too. We don't want to get them to simply tolerate the clippers or tolerate the cross ties or the whatever the piece may be. I want to get it where they're like, oh, yay, okay, we're doing this. This is a good thing. So I don't want to get it just to that neutral place because sometimes when push comes to shove, and one little piece is out of place, then they're intolerant of this. So to, in order to build resilience, if I have them where they really, really, really like it, and then if something happens or something's a little out of place or we had to do it someplace else, now we're at the vet's office and they're doing it there, I actually have a stronger foundation. I have a stronger reinforcement history woven into this behavior. So as I go to do it, they think, well, I like clipping. 
I don't know why I like clipping anymore because I've classically conditioned it. They don't necessarily remember why it is. They don't feel entitled that they should get something. They're like, this is just good. This is endorphins, dopamines. It's good stuff to be clipped. And so it can help balance out sometimes scary situations. So that's what we're going to be shooting for is how do we do this? Where do we start? And and it's going to we're going to need to start at different areas for different horses. But really, we should start and check from very far away and in a very comfortable place because we're going to have to determine where is that threshold. Now, before we get started, there's a couple things I need you to keep in mind. Clipping, the clipping itself can become aversive if we don't have, if we haven't made sure of some elements. If we don't keep our blades sharp, the blades can get dull and they can start pulling the hair. So of course, the horse isn't going to like this. The other thing, keep your blades lubed because if your blades have friction because they're not properly oiled as you go and you got to do it, it's a process you need to do while you're clipping, then the heat can actually be quite sensitive for your horse. Um, If you are thinking about clipping something like, you know, some people, and it used to be something is done more. I think more and more people are getting away from this because they're, it's, nicer to leave hair in the ears. But if you are clipping in the ears, realize those shorn hairs can fall down in the in the ears and be irritating. And now that can cause them to shake their heads, which can c- cause us to jab them with the clippers. So, uh, you know, so all of those pieces are things we need to keep in mind, the inherent things that might be aversive part of the clipping and doing the best we possibly can to, to make sure we're not adding to that situation. So that's all food for thought. And that's how we can help set them up for success so that we are doing the best we can. Okay. Now, as we want to consider with all behaviors, as we're going into something like this, we want to think, well, into any behavior, like I said, we want to think, how can I help set this horse up for success for this? Where are they going to be most comfortable? Where are they going to tend to be the most quiet? Where are they going to tend to be whatever piece of it it is for depending on the behavior? Well, clearly for clipping, we would rather them be a little bit tired and a little less energy and not feeling full of angst. So we want to try to pick a place where they're going to be most comfortable. And I think this is really, really, really important. And this is how we're going to talk about doing it is we want to do this at Liberty. We want the horses to have a voice. So as I bring in clippers, I want them to be able to say, oh, heck no. (laughs) And if that means they have to leave, they have to run, they have to walk, they have to go. I want that information. Now, is that the answer I want? No. Ultimately, I would like it to be a different choice they make. But at that point, I need to know that's how they feel and they need to know they're free to do this. They can go, nope, I'm just leaving. If I put them in cross ties and bring clippers to them, which they don't like, what am I setting myself up for? I can get a horse who's now busting out of the cross ties, is terrified, who's, you know, everybody, it starts getting dangerous because they're trying to break out of the cross ties and they're loose or whatever those pieces might be. We don't want to go there. I'm not ever going to take it till the cross ties to one. I know the cross ties are solid as all get out and they love the cross ties, but two, that they also, that they like the clipping. They show me they're choosing the clipping. I can actually clip. It's not just the clippers, it's the clipping and all the pieces that go with it. So we're going to talk about working at Liberty, working them in their favorite place where they tend to be most comfortable. Maybe that's a paddock. Maybe it's their stall. Maybe it's, you know, depending on where it is. If you choose to work in a small space, you need to be sure you're giving them room to move away from that small space. So we definitely need to keep them 
under threshold. And this is a tricky thing for people to recognize. So we're going to, we're going to touch on that a bit too. And then the other thing um, we also want to do to help set them up for success is don't do it when they're going to be the freshest, the brightest. You know, this is the kind of thing it might be better to do after they've been ridden, after they've had a good play session, after they've eaten their meal, after they've, you know, whatever things help to set your horse up for success, to have them be calmer and more sensible and more prone to making calmer choices or to be settled for some things like this. So think how you can do that. And remember, we will eventually fade those things from the equation. But for now, we're going to use them to help set us up for success. Eventually, we should be able to clip them anytime, anywhere, and, and they can be fresh as a daisy and they choose and want to do it and will practice some self-regulation and choose to lower their head and be calm for it. But for now, we need to use these pieces and then we'll fade the pieces as we go. So that's just a long running practice I want you to think about all the time, but I thought I'd kind of lay it out there for this particular one. So other component we need to work for or look for is recognizing when our horse is going over their fear threshold. Now there's, they can be excited threshold. They can be, there's different things. We're, def, we're pretty much looking at overexcited or really in this situation, it's going to probably be more of a fear threshold. So the fear threshold or when a horse is getting too tense, that's what I'm kind of looking for. I don't want the horse to be tense. I want them to be able to work and focus. If I get them too tense and take them too far over threshold, we're not, we're going to fight or flight and they're just trying to get out of there. They're not thinking, hmm, what do I do with this? Can I make a good choice for this? Can I get a little closer? So uh, we're going to look for those things. Well, what do we look for when we see threshold? We see it in different ways. One of the big things is looking at the eyes. Do the eyes look all kind of crinkled and tight? Do they look hard? Do they look big? And I see the whites of the eyes. Okay, now let's look at the head position. Is the head up? Did they raise their head up further? Did they did they get tense in the jowl? Did they have their nose get really kind of hard? Did their lips get really square and tense? Did the chin get really pointy and tight? Did the lips look really tight? Are there extra wrinkles? Sometimes you'll see around their their nose that is tightness and worry. Does there are they stomping? Are they striking? Are they which they shouldn't be doing that because they can leave? Are they swishing their tail or are they, you know, demonstrating discomfort or tenseness in other ways. And I think it's really important that we learn to recognize those things all the time, because this is the thing, this is very loud communication actually, but we're not really kind of taught to pay attention to these things. So I think it's really important, particularly in exercises like this, that we're recognizing when they're going over threshold and what that might look for. But there is a caveat in here because there's horses, like I know my little bugs, his little upper lip was square 90% of the time. He just had like a prehensile lip that wanted to explore everything. So that for me to see him have a square tight upper lip, that didn't mean he was tense. Now, there's other components. If his eyes got big, oh, that was a different story. If his nostrils looked really hard, that was a different story. If his, you know, so there's other elements that added to it. But for him, that alone wasn't a big concern. But if I saw that on Minty, that's not what Minty tends to do. So that would give me different information. For him, I would take that as a different sign. So 
one, getting to know your horse and and knowing your horse, you're going to know what is normal and what is not. And what does he look like in the most relaxed of times? And what does he look like when he's tense? And what does it look like when he's kind of investigating something? So that can give you a lot of information. But the other thing I think that's really important is look at the big picture. It's not just one particular picture. There's a picture of me recently talking to uh, a a man who is a very nice man and I like a lot named Dr. Andrew McLean. While I'm talking to him, it was a snap that was taken and it looks like I am dressing him down. It just looks like I am reading in the riot act. I in no point in that conversation was, but somehow in there, somebody caught that moment in time and that could read very differently. So it's kind of a funny picture because it's not my nature, but it is something that can that can be a little misleading. So I think that we need to really remember to look at the big picture when we're looking at these pieces. And of course, the ears are going to tell you something too. But again, that is part of a bigger picture. Ears alone don't mean the same thing either. All right. So now that we've got those little pieces, pieces cleared up, now we need to think about the different steps. This is where we're going to go into those teeny tiny building blocks that we call successive approximations. But they're basically the little steps that we say, is this okay? 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 And remember, we don't go to the next step. I've covered this somewhere, but as a reminder, we don't go to the next step until this current step is done consistently, relaxed, happy, not worried, they're soft, they're like no big deal. So we don't move on until the step before that is consistently at that point. It doesn't mean I reached that point and that was good, let's move to the next one. It means can I come back tomorrow or can we go do something else and then I come back and do this again? Are you in that really relaxed place or do we have to start all over again? So don't move to the next step until the step before it is good and solid. Okay, so now let's talk some of the steps we might work through. So if you know particularly where a horse might be and where their challenges are and where their challenges aren't, you may know that if I get, if I am, if the clippers are within five feet of my horse, it is, it is no, 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 no. Okay, well, let's figure out how far can it be and it's still okay. There also are different elements to clipping. For some horses, it, it is the sight because they already know what's coming next. They know that there's other pieces to it that are that are part of it. But it could be just the sight of the clippers themselves. If the clippers plugged in, the cord oftentimes can be an element. Another thing that can be is the sound. So for some horses, it's really the sound that they need to get used to. For other horses, it is a sensation of just the buzzing that is along them and feeling that buzzing. The, I mean, it, it, like hearing the uh, like feeling it on their bodies. And then for others, it is actually the clipping that can be the part. So there's different elements that we're going to kind of ask and check and see. And if we can figure out, I know one of the things I'm working with Murray, Murray is not, he is, I've worked with this a little bit with him. It's, he's not great at it. And we didn't, we just work a little bit like an intensive workshop and then we drop it. So now what we need to do is get him where I need to get him further along and more consistent. So this is going to kind of help me start on a consistent process of trying to get him better about this. So one of the things I know about Murray, the sound is a problem for him. So I started with those and I love these little clippers. I've used these little teeny tiny clippers for a lot of horses. They're like those they fit in the palm of your hand. They're, they're, they have like a triple A or double A battery in them. 
you thereby, you know, I think a lot of cl clipper companies make them. They're very inexpensive. They probably won't last you really long. They're not, in my eyes, they're not really a clipping tool. They are a, uh, they are a, a trading tool, but you can, I'm sure you can find them at, at Jeffers. But so as we get that little clipper, I use those. Well, those, the sound of those clippers is very high pitched. And so they're very sounding. Well, that to Murray started triggering him, shaking his head like he had bees around him. So he started, it was a mess. I was like, these are not helping because this sound was related to something else. So he is an association. I mean, just because he would just start flipping his head and it was very clear that that sound made him think it was like a bee. So while that hasn't been a problem for a lot of horses and I would start, I use those little clippers for a lot of horses because they're very mobile and easy to get close to them. And that didn't work for Murray. So you can get close to them. You can hold them in your hand. So what I, so this is kind of, I'm not much past this. All I've done is got him where he is used to the sound of the bigger clippers. So I could turn on those clippers from far away and he would start flipping his head. So I scratched that and went to the bigger clippers. They're cordless still. If you can find cordless clippers or use cordless clippers, I highly recommend you do. It's one less element for safety that you don't have to, one, be by a plug. Two, if the horse, something does happen, there's not a cord to get wrapped up in or tripped over. And then visually, it's not something they have to look at. So because really the moving cord on the ground can be its own thing on unto itself, but maybe that's what you have. So maybe you need to be sure that they're used to that part first. So first things first I tend to do is make sure that I can have the clippers turned off near the horse. I let them smell them. I let them see them because they smell different. And believe me, horses sense, sense of smell is way better than ours. So they can smell that those sound different and what that might look like. So Oh, I, I make sure they see it. They can smell it. Do they like it when they can see it and smell it and they're okay with it? And I let them bring their nose to it, which tends to work quite well. And so I just hold it out. They tend to come to it. They're also taught to target things. So this isn't a hard process. But as we go through that, then if they can do that, I say, okay, well, can I touch this on the part of the body I think is I'm most apt to have success. For most horses, it's their shoulder. Their shoulder tends to be the most comfortable place to start tactile things. So I tend to start, but that might be different for your horse, but I start to think, okay, can I touch you? Can I just rub you, your shoulder with it? And then can I rub you all over? And if everything is going good and I feel that there is no lifting their head. There's no getting tense. The eyes don't get hard. The, the ears don't get super tense. They don't look grumpy. They don't look worried. I keep going. Can I touch you? Can I touch your belly? Can I touch you, your legs with it? Can I touch your, so I touch all over the body. If that's all good, I say, and I didn't have a blip anywhere. I assume that is good. Now, as you go along, you may find that they're good until you touch someplace vulnerable. So let's say they're good until you touch them on, you know, on their belly, but, but you can touch your belly, their belly without the clippers. Cause we should always check that we can do tactile all over first for something like this. So I'm kind of assuming that's a thing, but then when you take the clippers there, that's a problem. You stay there until you can touch them all over with it and they're in a good place. So 
If that's all good, we move to the next place. The next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to turn on the clippers. But if your horse is really, really, really worried about it, sometimes I hold the clippers as far away as I possibly can. So I will stand with my arms outstretched. The clippers are far away as I can possibly get them. I may even outstretch my other arm to keep, make sure we have, you know, a good six feet, seven feet between the clippers and their body. And so I do that. When I turn on the clippers, what do I get? Now this is tends to be where we start to see stuff, where I've noticed I tend to start to see stuff. Horses can be worried about it. If that distance is too much, what I recommend you do is get somebody else to hold the clippers further away. So if it needs to be 15 feet away and that person is over there and you're like, okay, you know, Jennifer, turn on the clippers. And then they're way over there, but they turn on the clippers. Figure out where is the threshold? Where is that point meet between it's no big deal, they don't care, they hardly even seem to notice, their head is relaxed, and the point that starts to be like, what is that? Are you getting closer? Now, that doesn't mean they're completely over threshold, but we're definitely at threshold. We have them now kind of starting to think, what is that? What's going on? But it's still far enough away that I think they can settle. Now, this is the part, this is the place we're going to start. That's the distance that we are going to start from. So until that person can walk around with those clippers at that distance all the way around without your horse worrying, that's, we don't move any closer than that. So it could be that the first time all you do is turn them on and wait for your horse and your their person is way over there and you just wait for your horse to kind of go, I guess that's no big deal. You can be feeding them through this process. Now you're working on not operant conditioning, which means they have to do something in order to earn it. You're just saying, I'm just feeding you while those things are on, but you have them far enough away that they're not you're not into the adversive area. You have them far enough away where they just hear it, but that means I get fed. I hear it, that means I get fed. So it is a classic conditioning process going on. So when you can then do that and you can move it around, and this may take days for your horse. It may take weeks. It doesn't really matter. You just take the time it needs to take. And remember, and this is really important, we think it's just clippers for gosh sakes, but to them, they think they're going to die. I mean, really, they're, perspective, their reality is this thing may kill me. That, I mean, that otherwise they wouldn't be afraid. If they didn't think there was harm in it, they wouldn't be afraid of it. And so we need to say and recognize their boundaries. And we say, yes, I get it. This is very scary for you. So we're going to go in a way that is nice and we're taking small steps and building up to it so you can learn it safe. You have learned to process it. If we do something like we decide I'm just going to hold you on a lead rope and I'm going to hold the clippers on your side until you stop trying and fighting to get away. Oftentimes what we do is what we're doing is practicing flooding and the horse, instead of desensitizing that bag on the stick, that this, that, that, we oftentimes go into something that is um, in psychological terms called flooding. And while we want it to be desensitization, oftentimes flooding results in sensitization, not only of that particular item and the things related to it, but sometimes for um, a lot of times it's, it's for all sorts of things. So let's say you hate spiders. Let's say you really don't like spiders. And I say, okay, hey, come here. I have a thing for you to do. And you've trusted me up to now. I haven't told you what we're going to do. And I say, Lay down right here in this um, this 
bin. It's, you know, it fits your whole tub. Let's lay, lay it down in this tub. And then what I do, and I put something on it so you can't escape the tub. And then I have a tractor come in and with a front loader full of spiders and dump them all on you. Now you're going to fight and you're going to be terrified. And you're going to scream, but you can't get out. You're going to do everything you can. At some point you're going to give up and you're going to stop fighting and you're just going to sit there and I'm going to go, Oh look, she's over it. She likes them now. No, that doesn't mean that you like them now. What it means is that it, you've stopped fighting. You've learned that all of that energy wasn't worth it. It didn't get the outcome you wanted. You didn't get reinforced for doing that. So your mind is still in the same place, but your head, but your body has stopped fighting. So that's the same with the horses. So we can oftentimes, we can put them into learned helplessness where they shut down as opposed to fighting. So, so that doesn't mean that they're in a better place and they've accepted it. It means we've got them into a place of learned helplessness. Now, if I came to you the next day and I said, Hey, you know, Jennifer, get in that tub again or or anything I asked you to do, frankly, first of all, you're not going to get in the tub. You may see me coming and go, Oh, heck no. And just leave altogether. So that's something to keep in mind. So this is why we want to choose to go in this slow, systematic way where we can help the horses kind of acclimate and make a choice. If I instead had a, a, a spider in a glass box and said, can you come two, closest, two feet step closer to me? And it's still 10 feet away. And I said, that's great. And that's all we're doing for today. And even better, maybe I paid you to do it. And then I said, tomorrow, can you come a little closer and a little closer and a little closer? Can you touch the box? Can you hold the box? Okay, the spider's on me. Can you be near me with it not in the box? Okay, that's great. Can you maybe touch my other finger? Okay, now can you touch the spider perhaps? I'm thinking it's a tarantula now. <laughs> but but whatever it might be that we go in these slower ways where you have a chance to process and let your mind kind of catch up to, to its its fear. So I think that's an important lesson in, in this process and helping them to choose to be it, choose to come near it and recognizing that their fear is their fear. You know, we can say, well, tarantulas aren't harmful or whatever, you know, that, that whatever we might be afraid of, but it doesn't really matter until we can process it a little bit in, in a systematic way. Okay. So let's say now the horse is, so next you can get closer and closer and closer until you can be holding the the clippers in your hand with them turned on. You can touch your horse all over with the other hand and the clippers still may be reached out as far as you can be. When you can touch them all over with that hand, next thing you might do is get a little bit closer, a little bit closer. The next thing I have a tendency to do is then start to be sure that, okay, so now they're in my hand, but, and, and I can hold them and I can touch you with the other hand, with the other hand right next to it. So now the clippers are essentially right next to their body. The next thing I suggest you do is say, can I have the clippers on and touch you with the back of my hand that's holding the clippers? So now they're going to feel the sensation of the clippers jiggling, but it's not, it's, it's muffled a bit. It's now it's your hand. So your hand's absorbing a lot of that buzziness. So you've kind of muffled it and made it a little bit softer. Okay. Can I touch you all over with the back of my hand? And when that can go all over the place, and again, that may take a while, then you start to then say, okay, that's going great next and go to all over the body, both sides, and then slowly work up to the neck. We're going to address the ears a little bit in a bit. 
So then the next piece we're going to look for is now, can I turn the clippers over? So now it's still my same hand, but you're feeling the, the body of the clippers are moving around. And is that okay until you can go along? So now we're desensitizing them in a systematic way to the sensation of feeling the buzzing. So now we're dealing with the sound. And now we've moved on to feeling the sensation of them. So we de we've dealt with sight first, then sound, and now the sensation of the clippers buzzing. And then when that's going well, the next thing I do is pick a place where I feel they're most comfortable. And you may have a patchy horse for a bit, but that's okay. Um, feel like you need to then move on to, can we get to the sensation of, of the clip? So the first one is just going to be one little pass. That's it. That's great. That's all we want. And we're going to leave it there. So I try to figure out if I'm aiming just to clip the legs, you know, and sometimes when it comes to places that are very uh, wet, it, we a lot of times need to clip the lower legs to prevent the, the scratches from growing. So we need to keep them clean so it doesn't have a place for the fungus to grow. So a lot of times people will clip the lower legs to keep them clean. So maybe that's all I'm working on. So I'm going to focus that attention. I'm going to make sure the whole body's comfortable with it, but then I'm going to start the clipping process really a little bit lower and focus on that area a bit if you need to. So then when you could just do one strike, that's it. That's great. Here's a whole pile of food. Now we're done. And again, what you're doing is building a strong reinforcement history, a desirable reinforcement history with the clipping because they may have an undesirable reinforcement history. We're trying to build a strong one where they're like, I like this. I want to do this. This is no big deal. I can do that. One of the things to keep in mind as we do this, as we bring, keep these sessions short, particularly when they're still really worried about the piece you know, whether it's just the sound, it's the sensation, just say one little touch of the back of my hand. That was great. Here's a pile for it. And so it didn't turn into what they anticipated that what the Clippers maybe predicted for them. Instead, they're like, well, that wasn't so hard. I could do that again. You say, yes, that's fine, but we're not going to do it again for another week. We're going to do other stuff in between. So you start giving them time to process. And in that process, by having the aversive be so short and so sh quick and so minimal and then go away, that is also reinforcing them. They go, well, that wasn't so bad. I thought that was going to go on and on. I really could do that. But also keep in mind when we have that piece there, that that one piece that we're trying to minimize it as much as we possibly can. We're trying to keep frustration and worry as low as we possibly can, keeping them below threshold as much as we possibly can. But that element, even being part of it, can have tension and adrenaline up. So saying, that's all I have to do, just a little bit, it's a little teeny tiny bit, that's great, here's a pile of food, and it goes away, it gives them a chance to let that really, to let that adrenaline back down. So I think it's really important to recognize as we keep going and keep going and keep going, if we start drilling it, we can actually be moving into... Uh, we can really start some trigger stacking. That adrenaline just piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. They're like, I can't handle it anymore. Just like the scary movie when the phone rings. And then they, you just lose your noodle and you can hear it ring all the time. But in that situation, it just took you over the edge, you know, because your adrenaline was up. Well, it could be the same for them. So recognizing that, giving them a break where we stop with that and the adrenaline can come back down is really an important element to it. Okay, the other piece we're going to address is the head moving towards the ears. So there is a whole lot of sensitivity with the clipping the ears. And I and I think it's the noise is closer, the ears are sensitive, the shorn hair is falling in there, and there's a lot of horses that have had their ears clipped 
in a very unkind way, you know, in a way that's not been, it's been an impatient way, let's say. There's a lot of horses that have had their ears twitched. The, the people have grabbed and done what's called an ear twitch. So the ears, they can be quite protective about their ears. I think you should, way back when, go back to that early desensitization lesson number eight. I'd make a really good friendship with the ears so that they love their ears touch. They don't feel protective of them. It's not a worry thing. But sometimes now you introduce clippers and taking that buzzy thing up to their ears can be a whole different thing. So what I want you to do is slowly work up the neck and don't take, and all those little processes we worked, sometimes the ears are going to be a separate thing and the steps may need to be smaller because as you get closer to the head, the head may start going higher, becoming a more evasive behavior for them, a way to kind of avoid it. So go slow. Can I touch up on your pole with the, 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 the clippers way, way, way over here. And then can I rub your ears like I normally do? Cause I've worked on it from lesson eight and then building up and slowly taking up till you can touch the ears from all over and just make it a little bit slower process on any part that you find that you're having extra sensitivity to. Okay. Now, I think we've walked through a lot of these steps quite nicely. I've even prepared you for some kind of steps moving forward, but I think it's important to understand as we go forward kind of what those might look like, and that's kind of where I went. So now we're going to do, we're going to get to the barn, and we are going to see where Murray is today, and same with your horse. So if you are brand new to this, and or brand new to this process with them, and you don't know where they are, I suggest you get yourself a pair of those little inky dinky baby clippers, or if you have cordless kind of moderate size clippers, you know, those would work too. Um, but it could be that all you have is a big corded ones, but whatever it is, get, get prepared, get ready, get your horse in a good state of mind, get your horse to a good place and get all your stuff, get your target, get your side bucket, get your food and, and plenty of it and get your clicker. And we will move into, and this actually, I'm going to tell you, we haven't talked about, well, a little bit we did that you can use um, in the very first lesson. We talked a little bit about uh, you can use anything as a bridge signal. I tend to use clipper, uh, the clipper from the clicker <laughs> for most of this process. But sometimes when I start getting to the ears, I may shift to using a whistle. I tend to use those high pitched dog whistles because they're not quite so loud. They can be toned down a bit, but I can hold it in my mouth and I actually put a we, we even sell clip, click, uh, whistles here and we put tubing on it so you can actually hold it in your mouth and your teeth because it's a soft tubing. But sometimes if you're going to the ears, you might want to use a different bridge signal or even a verbal bridge signal. But for the early stages, I do use the clicker. Today, we will be using the clicker because it's not going to be so complicated how far we get. So there we go. Little addendum to that. Go get ready and we'll talk in a minute. Okie dokie, everybody. Um, here I am. I went to Murray's stall. Murray has an in and out stall. So in some of these early pieces, because as I said earlier, I've worked a little bit 
just sporadically. So with no consistency, which means that I'm going to lose ground. But we, I've worked it actually in the indoor arena with him at Liberty. So he could go away or if, if he wanted to or not. I think it's an important element. But because he has an indoor-outdoor stall and he, I know how to stay out of his space and he knows that he can go just a little bit away and he is free to go. So it's important if you choose to work in the stall that he knows he has the freedom to go away from you. And we're not chasing him. He's stepping into this equation. If you think your horse is really, really frightened, I might go do him out in his paddock or an indoor arena or something so that you don't accidentally panic him in a closed space. Because sometimes a closed space unto itself for some horses may have, a, you know, maybe a different challenge. But anyway, Murray's okay in here. So here you be in the place that works best for your horse and what again with the last place i did this was with murray was i had the big clippers in my hands they're cordless but they're they're actually you know pretty sturdy real clippers i have them in my hand and i he was smelling them and i could get them close to him so now so I'm going to skip some of those beginning parts. I'm going to talk through them a little bit. I'm going to do them with Murray anyway. I anticipate he'll be good, but I'm going to do them anyway because this is really the best way to do it is go back to those building blocks that got me to where I am in the first place. Those successive approximations are really important. And so I can now go build this behavior back up going to those to remind him where we are. So I'm going to start. And I'm gonna turn the clippers on. They're pretty dull sounding. So they're kind of a big deep sound. And they're over here. So I turned them on and his head definitely went up. So I just, I'm not moving a bit, a bit. I'm just standing here with him talking to you and good. And there I clicked because his head went down. He softened a bit. He kind of adjusted to what we we're doing. So I clicked and I reinforced him for that. I just want him to know we're okay. This is not, you know what these are, or do you? I think you know what these are, but I wanted to be sure he was good there. So then he went back and thought, oh, okay, it's okay, we're good. But that tells me something. That's information for me. That tells me this isn't, he still got a, a, a bit more worry under there. So, okay, good. Um, Next, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to turn them on. Okay, good. And this time, I'm going to click and feed. I still have the, I still have my arm way outstretched. So I clicked. I put the cooker in my pocket, and then I'm feeding. Okay, that's good. Sometimes I put the clicker in my mouth, but then I can't talk. So that was really good. What I liked about that is I turned him on. He didn't do anything at all. Now I'm going to have my hand touch him while I'm holding. I didn't turn the clippers off. They're still on right now, but he looks fine. So I'm going to walk around a little bit. Can I walk around with him? And that's good. And remember, going behind your horse, if you don't know what he's going to do with it, he could kick. So you got to go really slow and be sure he really looks good or go around the front part. Um, so he's looking good. I can go to either side. Okay, he went to his target. Okay, that's all right. Okay, let's go stop. I'm going to put the clippers down for a minute. He went to his stationary target. Again, that's early, early lesson number four. Yes, it's lesson number four. So in his stall, he has a stationary target. It is something he do does and knows all the time. But this could be actually a way... It, this is a behavior he knows and he went there. So because he went there, I want to say, you know what? That's a safe place and I want it to always be a safe place. So 
I was he trying to do it because he thought he could would get reinforced? He might have been, but I didn't ask him. Or was he going there to try to do something good to get things to quit? I don't really know. So I suspect it was the first one because he has a tendency to want to go there a lot because we've made it so strong. So, but I, I just stopped for a minute. So now that he's back up here, I'm feeding him a couple times. I want to let him know that's all right. I like that you're up here. We're all good. And I'm just going to try to read everything a little closer because I didn't in my head anticipate that he was going to go there. So he turned a way to go to it, which is normal. He does that a lot, but I couldn't see. Did he, did he look hard? Did he look tense? Was he leaving in a way that looked worried? So I'm going to play a little more attention, more attention to his head. I have the, I was kind of watching back ends since I'm at the back end and watching head position. He didn't raise his head. So that was a good thing. But anyway, so I'm, I'm going to walk again, start the process. Okay, I went around the back and now I'm to the other side and he looks good and relaxed. So he's great. So I'm going to click, reinforce, turn it off for a second and feed him. So what I like that kind of gave me some, some information. Is this good? Is this evasive or is this you just doing something comfortable? So I think it's really important that he gets to show me what he thought about that as I went around and paid more attention to a lot of the facial expressions i feel like he's actually comfortable i think he was just trying to figure out what to do this is a new um behavior or exercise for him so he doesn't necessarily know what i mean but for him to be comfortable enough to go to the target is not a bad thing okay so now that that went well my next step is when i turn him back on i'm going to see if i can touch him with my hand i'm going to touch his shoulder first because that is his most comfortable place. So as I touch his shoulder, okay, and then I'm gonna start to move around if that goes well. I'm gonna break it into pieces regardless because I just want it to be short enough where I click and feed so that he gets lots of reinforcement. Okay, so they're back on. Okay, so that's good. We know he's good here. And now I'm reaching out. He's still pretty soft as I'm reaching. I don't make it too apprehensive because that can be weird unto itself. So, but I don't make it so fast and, you know, that he doesn't have a choice. So I just confidently move my hand over. He's great. I'm rubbing his shoulder. I'm moving to his chest. That's great. I'm going to click. Actually, I'm not going to click because I got hands. Good boy. And then I'm going to reinforce him. Good boy is kind of, it's something I use, but isn't really a conditioned bridge signal for him. I haven't really done a verbal one as much, but he knows by now that it means good. When I'm riding him and he hears it, he softens and he knows that he's on the right track. So I use that and I'm feeding. The clippers are still running. Okay. So now I'm going back. He's eaten a couple handfuls. I'm going to put my hand back on him. And I'm moving my hand to his chest and up the underside of his neck a little bit. And that looks good. Okay. Can I go up the side of your neck? I'm not going to go all the way up by his head. I don't need to go there right now. I'll deal with that a little bit separately. Today, that doesn't need to be the thing. And that's going great. And now I'm rubbing his barrel. 
and that's great. And I'm kind of moving down until I reached. He's really doing good. His belly, good, perfect. Now I'm turning it off. I click reinforce. So what I want to do, and one of the things I can do that not everybody can do, I can hold the clippers and the clicker in one hand, but I didn't have it that time. But anyway, so I'm reinforcing him two ways. I'm giving him food, giving him a little break from that little exercise. And then I also, and, and I turned off the clippers. So we just kind of broke for a minute and said, that's great. You're doing really good. And I reinforced him quite a bit. Okay. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask for something easy, but different because I want to mix it up a little bit. They may have been a little bit challenged. His adrenaline may still be up. So I'm going to go to something that's really familiar and easy for him. So he knows how to pick up his leg. So I'm going to say, hey, hey, Murray, can you give me a leg? Good. So I clicked to reinforce. I just had him hold it up for a couple seconds. That was good. I fed him for that. Now I'm going to go to back leg. Your leg. Good. And I clicked and fed that. Okay, I'm going to go around to the side. And he knows to, to uh, back up just a little bit. So I'm going to ask him to back up. That's great. I click and reinforce that. So now he's having some success and some reinforcement for some other things and a little break from what may be challenging. Okay. So now I'm on the other side of him. And I am going to turn the clippers back on. And I'm going to touch him again. And he's good on this side, really, just like he was on the other side. So as I move around, and I went right from his shoulder to his barrel a bit. And underneath at the belly is a little bit more vulnerable, but he's doing great. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to switch the clippers to the other hand. Now, they're about two feet from him, but they're now they're in the closer hand. And he's doing great, so I'm going to click and feed him for that. So I click and I switch the clippers and go feed him. And that is great. So now this is a hand I was just touching him with, but it's a hand that's closer to him. So what I'm going to do next is see if we can't. I'm just going to walk around with this for a little bit. For I'm going to walk back and forth just a little bit. So they're on now. And he looks pretty good with that. Okay, so now as I reach my hand towards him, his head went up a little, but everything else stayed pretty soft. So I just touched him with the back of my hand. He's good. I'm going to click and feed and turn him off for a second and let him process that and let him chew. Give him a couple handfuls. And then we're going to do it again. Okay. Clippers back on. Reaching up, touching him with the back of my hand and kind of moving around. And he is doing great with this. So he is doing really good. He is, um, so I rubbed on his barrel. I rubbed it on his chest, on the lower part of his neck. I went under towards the belly, not all the way under. And he's doing great. I'm gonna click and reinforce. And I think I'm gonna stop there with that piece. And so that's great. I'm gonna give him, and he ha I have his bucket in here with me. So I'm giving him a few handfuls in his rubber bucket his rubber feed tub because that was really really good find out where you are with your horse get to a good place i'm going to um, remind you don't get greedy trainer syndrome it's better to do too little than to do too much and get them saying no and get them suspicious so 
find a good stopping place. And that may be different for different horses and where you are. Maybe you couldn't get quite that far. Maybe you're still just walking around with clippers or your friend is. But get to a good place. I want you to go ahead and get a, give them a jackpot. Get them wherever their place is. Finish up and get organized. And then come meet me back in the classroom. And we're going to work on, talk about what how that went and where we go next. Okay. Okie dokie. We're back in the classroom. We're getting ready for our homework. And of course, homework is essential. This is the, the repetition without drilling. Keep in mind. So it's shampoo, rinse, repeat, but give breaks. And then we will uh, talk about that homework a bit. So we're going to talk about the homework because it is an essential part. But again, one of the things that people always ask, what should I feed when I'm working with my horse? And you definitely use something that is a smart food for your horse. You can have special treats in there that, you know, you can have pieces of carrots. You can have some special cookies or crunchies in there, but make something that can work with the diet of your particular horse. A company that I find is really good and I tend to use is a Cavalor because Cavalor has foods for young horses, old horses, for uh, metabolic issue horses, for it's really a good food with minimal sugar and it is something that they seem to metabolize well, they do great with. And they also have great supplements that may help too. If your horse is one of those dry skin horses, you clip them and you're like, holy smokes, you have dandruff. <laughs> anyway, so let's learn a little bit more about Cavalier Feed and their, their great products. As we progress through the clicker training exercises, we talk about feeding the horse each time you use the clicker. Sometimes, most of the time, I use feed, but sometimes I use treats. And I love the Cavalier feed and the Cavalier treats because they use the highest quality ingredients. I can feed a lot of it, and I know it's healthy and a safe alternative to the highly processed feeds. So I think it's important that we can feel really comfortable about feeding a lot of the feed without think you're loading them down with sugar. And that's what you get with Cavalor. With the Cavalor feeds, you can also actually see the ingredients. So it looks like a cereal you and I would eat. And in fact, I've tasted it and it's pretty good. <laughs> and the best part is Cavalor's team is easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real life person will call you back to personally talk through your horse's nutritional needs. Learn more about the products at www.cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. All righty. We are back. Now, that may seem, I mean, I always keep my sessions short and I, I think that this is a surprise for some people. But I want to tell you, and I don't know where I've mentioned it before, somewhere in these, these the lessons I have, but remember that they can only take in so much information, just like you and I. We can we can only take in, I think they say it's like 15 minutes of new information before it's just washing off of us. So they can only take in so much new information. So to keep going over and over and over and over isn't exactly helping them learn something new. It can just turn into the drilling process. So we don't want to do that. But the other thing, and then it can actually become in irritating or dull. And the other piece to that is 
it takes 12 to 24 hours for a new thought to form a permanent neural pathway. And that's for us. That's for everybody. It takes the, they to ultimately make that path. They start right away forming, but to really kind of lay it down. Have you heard people saying, you know, study the night before and then go, then sleep on it? That's part of that. That's And it really, really, really does work. And that's been referred to as latent learning, meaning it is learning that happens past after the fact. And I found this over and over again. I first discovered it with sea lions. The sea lions, I was working on a backflip and I came back from a four-day weekend and I said, did somebody else work my backflip? Because it is way better than I left it when I left. And it was, nobody did. And then I've noticed it happened again and again. So sometimes leaving thing is leaving things that are challenging can be really good. It gives it time for that latent learning to take place. And and you, our important part is we build it up with a good, strong, positive reinforcement history. So I think that that part is really important. So don't feel like you have to do your new lesson each and every day, every single time. You can do it. You can do it again next week. You can do it in four weeks. You can do it and do whatever. Put in some, you know, repetition, but it doesn't have to be drilling. So keep in mind that. And so... Now we've got kind of understanding a little bit about the latent learning. And when we have these lessons that have something that has potential for aversiveness in it, I really want to make those extra short. So I say, see, that's all there was to it. And I think that that is important. So with Murray, I could have gone further. I feel like I could have gone further, but I didn't want to. I wanted to end with him going, that's great. I actually like this process. It's not a big deal. And it's, and I, do I think he's tolerating it right now? Yeah. I think he's more on the tolerating than liking with some repetition and positive reinforcement as part of it and some late learning in there. We'll get it where it is actually something he likes and wants to do. But for right now, I know it's kind of in a more tolerant place. So I didn't want to keep going with that. I just want to say that's great, short and sweet, and we're good to go. So I think that's an important lesson. Don't get that greedy trainer syndrome where we go and we get too much and then we've got them going no or we lose ground. It's better to do less and, and reinforce it more. There's another side to this that I'm going to kind of warn you about is when we start doing things with positive reinforcement, they can do more than they are comfortable with. This means they can be, they can give us more than they really want to do. They may take themselves over threshold. So it's really, really important that we say, you know what, I don't want you just enduring something. I want to be sure I'm paying attention to all those little body language and body signals and facial things that can tell me if you're in a good place with this because I don't want you to go try too hard. So another way that I can help ensure that is make sure for the challenging, really challenging, scary pieces like that, I go slow enough that I'm ensuring that he likes it and that it's I'm not going to give him a chance to get over threshold. If I recognize I have one of those horses that commonly takes themselves over threshold, I keep them even further back. One horse, it was like they'll you know, it looks good. They keep it in on the inside and they're trying so hard to please you. 
And then the horse will just jump out of the trailer. And you're like, what happened? You know, and, and it can be a horse that kind of was piling up to the adrenaline, was stacking, trigger stacking, and that they then just got too much. So then I know that that horse has that propensity, but it's something to be aware of and recognizing we can do with the positive reinforcement. So doing less for these challenging and scary things is, is a prudent prudent decision to make because we want to be sure it ends up good and they end up loving it, not tolerating it. So here's the really kind of those things, keeping them in mind. The big part of the the homework is this repetition and building slowly to the next place and the next place and the next place. And I think this is an important thing to keep in mind for all behaviors is that we, when we really want to make sure a behavior is solid, we take it to other places. We do it different times a day. We do it, we, we fade out the things we use to help set them up for success. Can we do it out of the blue? That's when we know a behavior is solid. So what I want you to do is continue to working on these until each step the step before is solid and good and your horse is happy and it's solid and good and your horse is happy and it's solid and good and your horse is happy. And then, then you move to the next step and next step and next step and next step. Some steps are going to go really fast for your horse. Some are going to be a little more tedious and slow down because you've kind of found a trigger spot. So remember, do not take this to the cross ties or anything like that until they're one, really good about cross tying and love the cross ties really good about these components and are good with those components out of the blue, even all the way up to being able to clip. So keeping them at liberty where they have choice, making sure they're solid, making sure you can do it different times a day and different places. So as you get these steps really solid, let's say in their stall or in their paddock or wherever you started working it, okay, can you take it to another place? And is it equally as strong? So remember, we can lose criteria when we shift the context. So you may lose it and have to go through those building blocks again to remind them how you got there, but they'll go quicker. And then if you're thinking you want to get it to cross tie or a tied area, think where that may, may be. Be sure that they can do it without the cross ties or without being tied. And then it means you might be ready to go to having it being a tied situation. So it is a matter of the repetition and building it up and recognizing if your horse is going on over threshold and being really sensitive to that because it's really important it is earnestly how they feel they're not trying to be bad they really just are, are worried so those are your little nuggets for today in addition to our clipping <laughs> they're clipping exercises so shampoo rinse repeat okay um now as you probably already know by now, you can listen to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast players. You can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on iOS or Android. Just search the Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and it's easy to use. I also post them on um, my website as well, which of course we all know is on-target-training.com. You can go there for more information about me or... Uh, or if you want to order stuff, but you can also go to terranovatrainingcenter.com and it, that's um, T-E-R-R-E-N-O-V-A training center, C-E-N-T-E-R, not the, not the, not the British way. So you can learn more about the schedule and what I'm up to, but be sure to visit all the great shows, all of the great shows 
on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. There's lots of fun stuff for all different people, all different walks of life. You're bound to find something you enjoy listening to in there. So until next time, enjoy getting your horse on target. Bye. Bye.